It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, Now, tomorrow is a big day on the global calendar. It is International Women's Day and being 2021, we don't have a, a motto or a slogan. We have a hashtag. This is, the the hashtag is choose to challenge. Uh, My guests in this episode, uh, we have two uh, in this episode, have certainly not just been choosing to challenge, but rising to the challenge and exceeding the challenge now for some time. Trailblazers uh, in the racing industry, they've both trained countless uh, winners on the Greyhound and Thoroughbred racetracks right around WA. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Linda Britton, uh, Greyhound trainer, and Angela Smith, a thoroughbred trainer. Good afternoon to both of you. How are you going? And thank you for your time. Um, I'm going to start with you first, uh, Linda. Uh, I was staggered to read uh, on your, uh, your, your notes here. Uh, almost 21,000 starts, almost 5,000 winners. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of dogs that we've, <laughs> we've raced over the time. We usually have around about 50 to 55 dogs in work. Um, we've we dropped that down over the last three or four years, so there was up to about 60, 60 65. So, um, competitive dogs under your care, yes, yes. We aim, the, aim to have them all competitive. Um, we, we rear, breed, and, and train dogs. So, mm. a lot of the dogs, um, come you know, they're bred on the property, and um, and then we race them from there. So, uh, Years ago, it was more we got dogs from the eastern states and we trained for other people and um, a lot of those dogs had met their mark in the eastern states and Mm. they came over here and they were very competitive. Yeah. Of all of those starts and wins, any any that stand out? I forgive you for not remembering all of them. (laughs) No, there's quite a few. Um, There's dogs like Paradise Street, who we won our first national distance title with. He was just an outstanding dog. He raced till he was five and a half. And um, that's that's quite old for a greyhound. Um, I've had dogs more recently like West On Augie who won a Nationals, Premium Share won a Nationals. Um, and that's, t- to me, one of the pinnacle races um, because every state is represented mm. and you represent your state and there's nothing better than winning for your state. Absolutely. Mm. How does one get into greyhound racing? Well, I was born into it, yeah, that's, <laughs> so, it's, which is a familiar story. In, yeah, in your and generally, world, it? it's something to do with somebody you know or yeah, um, family. Uh, but you've so. obviously stayed with it as well. I mean, I'm sure you had an opportunity to do something else uh, along the way, but you've you've obviously stayed with it and then dedicated your life yeah. to it. Pretty much, I had a few years where I didn't, I wasn't involved, but when I was much younger, um, but 
yeah, I was always keen on it. I, I loved riding ponies and and, mm. and, and loved animals from when I was a, a little kid. And uh, Dad got involved when I was about nine. Um, he himself was a, a Hall of Fame trainer, uh, one of the legends of Victoria. And uh, mm. I've got two brothers that train now as well. So, And they're both very, very successful. So it's a dynasty. It's probably a bit like the Millers here in Western Australia or somebody like that. But, um, yeah, we um, were always, you know, around the dogs. Dad started by breeding one litter. We used to spend a lot of time taking them down the beach and and rearing them that way. And we lived in a little country town called Portland uh, down in Victoria. Beautiful spot down on the south coast there. beautiful. Very cold sometimes, but it was a great place. And um, great place to be brought up. And uh, so we, uh, and Dad eventually moved further closer to Melbourne to to take up, you know, training his dogs. So he was a yeah. local milkman with a horse and cart. So yeah, right. we even had horses back then. And yeah, uh, yeah so that, that, that was, um, mm. yeah, that was, so we were around animals all the time. So it's in the blood. It certainly yeah. is. Yeah. What about you, Angela? Uh, are you of that sort of same sort of story? You were essentially born into it? Yes, in a lot of ways. And it's lovely listening to Linda talk like that because I think it goes to show that anybody that works with animals has a great love for them. Mm. So, um, Which is a, a point yeah. that gets challenged from time to time, isn't it? It does. And it's, um, you know, like we work with animals all the time in our life. I think sometimes we spend more time with them than our family. <laughs> they are your family, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, <laughs> they don't answer back to you. No, <laughs> but theirs is unconditional yeah. love. <laughs> so, again, you've spent so much of your waking hours around your animals as well. Those stats for you: two, over two thousand eight hundred starts, over two hundred and fifty wins. Again, that's a phenomenal number. Yeah, probably from the bush it is. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just a bush trainer, so um, oh, but I just I lo- I just love my horses, and I um. You spend a lot of time with them. Yeah. Wagen is home for you? Yes, it is. What, what's a typical day in your life then? Um, well, it's just my husband and myself now. We've mm. cut back on our numbers. We used to have the bigger teams of 16 to 20 horses over 20 years to, to make a living out of it. And now we're just starting to wind down a bit. And while we're capable of going and still training, we will keep going. But we just, um, so the hours aren't quite so early. We're not having the sparrow lark now. And it's... Um, you know, we get down the stables usually by five thirty, six o'clock, and we've got eight in work at the moment. And we just, uh, because I have all my own training tracks, um, people question when we decided to train full time and waging. But uh, the logistics are that you're only going to usually get average horses sent to you, so you've got to take them where you can win, and mm. that's how you survive in the industry. So, um, and we're two to three hours virtually to every track down the bottom end of WA, so we're really in a, a good location. Yeah. You must spend a lot of time on the road then, do you? We do, not as much as we used to. We used to travel a hell of a lot. Um, and we've done broom for 17 years. That was great. Uh, every winter we'd take a team up there to race, which was good. But, um, yeah, now it's, as I say, we're not under the pump as much now, mm. so we're enjoying it a lot more. A hell of a drive with the horse float on the back, I imagine. It's a massive thing to plan and put together, the logistics of it. Um, I start planning before you know Christmas what I'm going to take and, Horses suitable for that class because you have to understand once you get to Broome, it's uh, dirt racing. A lot of horses don't like the dirt and no. if they don't want to run on it, there's nothing you can do to make them want to go. So, you know, it's a very risky thing to do, but yep. um, it's always paid off for us. So, yeah. Mm. I understand you've you've even got a, an uphill sand track on your 
property in Wagen, so your horses must be particularly well equipped for the sandy tracks. Yes, and I, we had to sort of set up tracks because, you know, to go for a gallop at Narragin, it would be a 100k um, round trip, and once we started getting the bigger teams, you just couldn't do it. So we um, were lucky enough to have a farmer that had uh, a patch of land that he let us use, and we fenced it off, and um, we used that for 15 years, and we lost that when it was sold, so we were back in a bit of a predicament, but... Um, Thankfully, neighbours across the road said, look, you're more than welcome to, to use ours. So we put a grader in there and it's mm. um, 1,000 metres all uphill, yeah, sand track. So S- Sounds brutal. Yeah. No, no, but, it's but good. Worth that it. Well, it, <laughs> I suppose the key is that I take a lot of horses out of the city that have been trained from boxes and yards yeah. and I paddock train my horses. So, you know, they, a big part of my training is mental to get them happy yeah. and wanting to run. And so yeah. they're training, but they don't realise and they're loving their work. So yeah. I'm picking up a Kiwi twang there from you Angela tell me when you came to Australia from New Zealand and was it straight to WA? It was um, I've been here 41 years now um, been married 40 years I met my husband the first night I came to town really <laughs> wow <laughs> must have been meant to be you mess around did no, you no no <laughs> the first night the first night I met him and we were engaged three months later and I was on my wow. way to Canada but um, yeah ended up getting so you met love. so you came here first night Boom. Yeah. You met yeah. the one. Flew in. I had two brothers that were sheep shearers and uh, they were down in Wagen and so I was coming on a stopover on the way to Canada. And So this was just a halfway, I, I take it you didn't get No, I wasn't you planning on staying. No, definitely <laughs> not. No, I'd um, just given up being an apprentice jockey in New Zealand and um, yes, heading over to Canada. And Yeah. Um, interesting part of your story then being an apprentice jockey. Uh, at, at what point did you let go of that dream and, and turn your mind to be a trainer instead? Oh, well, you've got to realise back then that was real pioneer times for females because mm. um, I was the third girl in New Zealand to get a licence to ride against the men. And, um, you know, if I think it's tough now, you, I'll tell you, it was really I tough back imagine. then. And we were quite disliked, in all yeah. honesty, you know, and a lot of men just didn't want a bar of you riding in races. They didn't think you were capable. And so that was a real battle and challenge. But I loved it. It was really good. I, I rode for um, just over two years, and then I had weight trouble, so I had to give it away. So, um, yeah, and the training side of it started later in Wagen. Um, we got married, had a family, and I didn't want to, you know, get involved with horses while I had, the kids were little, but my husband was dead mad keen. He loved having a bet, so um, <laughs> yeah, that's how it started out. I got one or two horses and just started yeah. pottering around. It's interesting when you look at, um, you know, different sports, particularly, you know, professional sports, um, and, and gender equality and, you know, obviously we've come a long way over the years but it's pretty unique in horse racing, isn't it? Because you've got men and women riding horses in the same event on the same track at the same time. It's, it's, it's quite unique to have that kind of equal is, competition, isn't it? I think the sad thing is, you know, they, they talk about strength but, I mean, the training and, like, they've come so far forward with what you can be taught and educated with you know, your diet and mm. physical, you know, working out so you're, you're strong. It's, you know, to me it's it's a technique. I put a lot of girls on. I've started a lot of kids off in racing, but um, I don't put a girl on because I want to put a girl on. I put um, whoever I think suits my horses, you know, mm. and if it's a female and I think that they'll get on well with it, I'll put them on. But if I feel it needs a male rider, well, I'm quite happy to put them on. It's 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 not strength. It's I just think that you should be judged on what sort of rider you are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ladies, we need to take a break, but uh, plenty more of your story to cover 
uh, throughout the rest of this hour. This is Inspiring Stories. My special guests in this episode, Linda Britton and Angela Smith, ahead of International Women's Day tomorrow. We'll be back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, We have two special guests in this episode, uh, Greyhound trainer and breeder Linda Britton and thoroughbred trainer Angela Smith. Uh, Linda, just to recap on your phenomenal record, as I mentioned, uh, nearly 5,000 wins. Um, I've got here as well your prize money, over $12 million. That sounds like a lot. And it is. It is a lot. It is a lot. Would you say... Having said that, though, you you know you've got sixty, seventy dogs at some point that you're looking after. Would you say it's a, it's a lucrative sport? If you don't mind me asking, have you done pretty well out of it? Yeah, yes, you can do quite well out of it. Um, particularly these days, the stake money still is quite good in Western Australia, and we have very very good breeding bonuses. So, um, but you know you have owners behind all those dogs. So yeah. So um, so I've had owners that have done particularly well out of it. Um, be able to keep it as a hobby, but they're still doing well. And um, we're trying to encourage more, you know, as many owners as we can to get mm. into the sport. And uh, But it, it's certainly better these days for someone getting into the sport. A younger person, um, if they can get into it and um, set up, they, they can do quite well out of it these yeah. days. You're based down near Mandra. Mm-hmm. That many dogs on your property? I take it your neighbours aren't too close. <laughs> we're, we're actually in a kennel zone, right? So, so all your neighbours have got dogs, so we yeah. don't have a problem. It's, it's not a bad setup. So, yeah. <laughs> so we can't really complain about theirs, and they can really can't complain about ours. So, and and in general, greyhounds are fairly quiet. You are might they? hear them hark up a little bit around feed time or pups playing in the yards, but in general, they're, they're they're lovely temperament. Yeah. So when you see a, a dog come in, are you able, you must have a pretty good eye now. Do you see potential straight away? Can you look at a dog, see it move, and form a, an assessment of it pretty quickly? No, not really. No. <laughs> no, we don't. We don't go on uh, type so much. Um, we do look at their form before they come in. If, mm. if if it's another dog from Eastern States or another kennel. Um, but in general, uh, there's no real true type uh, of greyhound. They um, you'd like to see a, a good-looking dog that's got plenty of leg under it and those sort of things. But um, no, you just hope they can run fast. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a normal dog as well at home? Have you got a Have you got a Labrador or something just bouncing around the property as well? No, got no I've time had, for I've a, had pet dogs. a fun dog. Yeah, I've had pet dogs, and I'm I'm probably not far off getting another one. But I have three pet greyhounds at, yeah. at the at home and, and a few brood bitches, which are pets as well. Yeah. Um, two Perth Cups, five Galaxies, six Mandra Cups, among the many wins uh, that you've notched up over the years. Is, is there one in particular that stands out for you? Um, probably one of the first Galaxy with uh, Paradise Street, I think it was. Yeah. Um, Bliss Bale won... My uh, first, uh, my second Perth Cup. That was a nice win as well. Um, she was owned by one of the biggest owners in Australia called Paul, Paul Wheeler. He was sending dogs over to us at that stage. Um, I think one of the other wins that really stands out, which is probably not on there, is 
is the Temley in Melbourne that we won with LMR Fever. Um, so that that's they picked the best eight dogs in Australia at the time, mm. and um, so we were able to win that, and that was very exciting. Yeah. Do you still go to a lot of the races? No, not very often no. at all anymore. I'm Why quite is happy. that? I, I like to sit at home and watch them, and you can watch on Sky, and um, we have uh, a very good kennel foreman in Luke Townsend, and uh, so he, he takes the dogs to the track, and yeah. another young girl, Taylor Rowling, she's... Uh, She's there ready waiting for him when he gets to the track and she, mm. she's fantastic. So, Do you still get a buzz when you do go though? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. What, what is it about being there? Is it, you know, is it the noise, the, the excitement around the track? What is it that obviously just courses through your veins? Um, I think you just, racing's in your blood and there's not much you can do. You know, like. <laughs> just got to let it flow. <laughs> you just let it, yeah, let it flow and. And um, every animal, it doesn't matter what race it is, if it's a, a low maiden race at, at Mandra or, or a Perth Cup, you still get an adrenaline rush every yeah. time you have a dog go round. And I think the day I lose that is the day that maybe I should retire. <laughs> How do you go when your horse doesn't – sorry, when your dog doesn't win, are you a, a gracious loser or no, do, you, uh, do you get a you, bit fired you, up? You've got another race and probably yeah. another – 15 minutes so <laughs> you get yeah. over it pretty quickly but um no i you've got to know how to lose yeah. and and you've got to work out you know i always look back and think well what can i do better yeah so it's all about um there's there's generally a reason why and you and you just make sure that uh, you try and do it better next time what's your secret then with so many wins under your belt what's your secret i think you've just got to be dedicated yeah, so, um, and I always look to improve on my stock. You know, when I get dogs in, I try to improve on my breeding and try and find the best best dogs that I can have. Yeah. Uh, Angela, in terms of standout horses that have come under your care, I'm, I'm guessing that the one that's going to come to your mind is Time Frame. Oh. Well, is that the horse you're well, most look- attached to? Um. Oh, he's like my right arm, I guess. But yeah. um, and we lived the dream, you know. Like small time trainers don't very really ever get an opportunity to have a smack at a Perth Cup and win mm. it. So, you know, we lived the dream, and I, I, you know, it's very strong in our heart. Never be forgotten. It, there's this kind of legend around time frame, though, isn't it? And going up to Broome as well. Can you tell us the story of? Of time frame? Well, yeah, he never went to Broome. Time oh, frame. did he? Sorry. No, okay. no, uh, he never ended up going up there. Um, yeah, well, of course, he had a great trainer in Fred Kersley before I got him. And um, the lucky thing was he was actually waged and owned by two farmers. So I guess you sort of watch, you know, their horses when they're racing. And right from the beginning, time frame had a lot of ability. Yeah. Uh, but he was a real handful. And um, he got worse as he got older. And he, he picked up the nickname the jocks used to call him the pig in Perth because he, <laughs> he really he wouldn't go on the track to work. And Fred couldn't get him on the float. Um so he had a lot of problems and issues, but Fred held, he won five with Fred, but he held on to him, you know, probably a couple more years longer than what he should have. But I mean, he knew that he could uh, gallop, so you don't get rid of a good horse. And I pestered the owners when he started, you know, going off, because I'm not going to give him to a bush trainer, you know, to train. And I asked for him when he started to lose form and they said, no, no. And 
anyway, we had a um, Christmas function on. And I thought, well, if I get the owner on the grog, I might be able to, you know, get him talking around to giving me the horse. And he offered me a couple of his, his other horses. And I said, no, I don't want them. And it's funny thing, I really just wanted, I really did chase time frame. Yeah. It was just something that I knew and I, I, I just wanted them. Yeah. And um, I asked him, I, you know, it turned me down and, Six months went by and I went to the races and I looked at him and, you know, he, he wasn't going any good. And I come home and I said to my husband, I'm going to ring him again. I'm asking for that horse again. You know, so I rang him up and I said, Jeff, give me the horse to train. I reckon he'd go really well out the bush, just trotting for miles and get him away from the track. And um, he turned me down again. <laughs> so I said, well, that's it. I'm, I'll never ask again. And it was 12 months later he came up and offered us a horse and, I just thought we'd been two years since he'd won a race, yeah. and um, if we won a race at Albany, that we'd be we'd be happy. But let alone did we know what he was going to turn around and do mm. for us. For people who aren't immersed in that world, like like you are, maybe don't appreciate how you form such a bond with well, it. I mean, they all look like these beautiful, graceful, athletic animals to people who aren't in that world. But how do you? form such a strong emotional attachment to these animals? Well, he was hard work. Yeah. Um, and Sounds like a wayward child. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and some, a teenager, I think. Yeah. Um, like, he nearly smashed up our float. It took us an hour and a half to get him on the float when I right. first picked him up from just the didn't, farm. didn't want a bar of it. And he nearly went off on the float. Um, we just bought a brand new float. And right from the beginning, you know, you could tell that it was going to be a lot of work and time and love put mm. into him. And hopefully he would turn around and... And that's what we did. That that was the process. We just spent hours with him, talking to him, loving him. Took me fifteen minutes just to get a bridle on his head. You know, like <laughs> he really wanted everything he did. He wanted to argue with you. You know, yeah. but one thing he could do, he loved to work. And probably out of all my gallopers I have had, he's the one I gave and worked the hardest for miles. I'd take him, and I'd come back from an eight or ten k ride, which you don't usually work gallopers like that. And he'd throw three or four pig roots in halfway home, you know, like you just couldn't wear him out. Yeah. So that's why I started the plan that, to get him to stay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a romantic story to his passing as well. I understand that uh, there's a, a special spot on your property where time frame has been laid to rest. Yeah, he's buried at, uh, that was the saddest, I have to say, one of the saddest days of our lives. We were a mess. Um, yeah. He was buried at our front gate, and he's got a cross there, and um, I've got his shoes when he won the Perth Cup. I took them off, and I gave two of them to the owner and put them on a little plaque of wood and yeah. and said, you know, may his honesty and courage, you know, always be remembered because by jeepers, he was a tough horse, and he was a front runner as well, and as you know, when you're a front runner, you're the chopping block. So, um, but in the end, when he started, when he the penny dropped with him and he started to run again, mm. he ran because he wanted to. He loved it, you know, mm. and... Um, yeah, he'll always hold a special place in our heart. And the bottle of champagne that you drank? Also yeah, we were, we were given four bottles. Yeah, yeah, we were given four bottles. Um, I think it might have been Seaview sponsored it at the time. And I gave one each to my two sons and um, we kept the other couple of bottles. And I put one at the grave with Frame where he's buried. And the day he died, I cracked it open. And I want to be warm. Eh? It's never been in the fridge, and they say it goes off. But I'll tell you what, that was the it sweetest taste. It had been warm taste. that whole time. Yeah, that, well, it was twenty, years, <laughs> so many years later that he passed away, and we, we didn't even chill it. But the day he died, I thought it was appropriate because I drank yeah. so much champagne over the years and the the thrills he gave us that I thought it was you know fitting to drink that bottle of champagne that he won on the day. So we all had a glass each when we buried him, and 
It tasted pretty good, even though it wasn't chilled with a few chunks of the cork in it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Just throwing up challenges to you right to the very end. Yeah. Um, We need to take another break, ladies, but looking forward to hearing more of your stories right after that. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing the inspiring stories of two trailblazers uh, in the WA racing industry, one on the Greyhound track, the other on the Thoroughbred track. Uh, Angela, tell me about your uh, win in the Broom Cup. Uh, we talk about you know these legends being attached to some of your favourite horses over the years. Uh, Viscount Cameron has another fantastic story to go with it. Yeah, Tell us that one. Um, he was just a good, honest, tough racehorse, and he came from Tasmania, actually. So uh, he came all the way across to Western Australia, and there was a, a man in Broome that um, wanted to get a Broome Cup horse. And so I was offered him to train, and um, he ran a couple of thirds over the years we went to Broome. Mm-hmm. in the cup and he won a few quite a few cup races for us actually he was a good honest horse and um he had an injury bought from Tasmania with him and after about three or four years of racing it I didn't like the look of it and I didn't want to break him down so we retired him and uh he was out for four or five months and my husband said oh look I reckon we should give him another go and so I said unless that leg scans clean I'll think about it but I ended up giving him 12 months out and I brought him back and so he was rising 10 when we went up to Broome that year, but a week before we left, my husband had a massive brain bleed at um, Albany Races. He hit his head on a pipe. and um, Sorry, he, he hit his head on a pipe? Yeah, and five days he went before he went to a doctor. You know, that's wow. just, you keep going, don't you? And, and um, anyway, he got worse and worse, and he actually had a fall the day after he banged his head, and he started walking funny, and we forgot clean about him hitting his head and thinking that, oh, you know, he must have pinched a nerve in his leg or something. And um, after the fifth day, uh, I said, look, I'm taking you to the chiropractor. You know, I, I reckon you've, um, you know, pinched a nerve or something. And anyway, the chiro did some tests on him, and um, he said, Angel, I can fix him if it's a pinched nerve, but he said, I think it's something a bit more serious. And so he sent us to a doctor, and... Then we went to the hospital and they did a CAT scan on his head and the doctor came out and said, your husband's had a massive brain bleed and um, flying doctor's coming in. And wow. They operated on him then and I thought, well, that was it for training for us. You know, I'd be staying home to look after Malcolm and care for him and that was the end of it. And anyway... How was he by that fifth day then? Um, he said he had a sore neck. If he said he had a headache, I would have reacted quicker because he never gets headaches. But he mm. just said the back of his neck was sore and he was walking funny. And uh, he's still riding work though, and chewing horses and one of those people. Yeah, he just doesn't. <laughs> yeah. He won't go to a Can't doctor. Knock him down. No. Yeah. And um, anyway, uh, they took half the side of his skull off, and um, the doctor wow. said another twenty four hours he would have been dead. Is that you know? right? So he was very very lucky, and he insisted I take the team up to Broome. It's a hard enough trip to do, you know, as a team, let alone on your own. I had a good girl working for us, and. Um, he said, no, Andrew, you take the team up, I'll be right. When I'm right, I'll come up. So we went up with this team with old Viscount Cameron on board and um, Malcolm flew up after about six weeks and he got a clearance and started riding straight away again, <laughs> riding work. And, and yeah, that old darling went out and won the Broom Cup. 
Amazing. So it was like the highest highs and last lows, but that's the racing game, isn't it? I bet you partied that night. Oh, I think there was, <laughs> um, they took 28 bottles of wine and champagne out of camp the next morning, let alone with a beer or the, and we'd hired a band for the night actually, like, you know, not knowing we were going to win or that, but a two-man band and we had a big party in camp and yeah, we I have bet. a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and for Malcolm, such a close call. Did it did it change the way that you you know look at your lives and how much you invest in race? Did it was it a bit of a stop and check moment um, for you both? Well, yes and no. But if you go around thinking like that, you're never going to um, get anywhere. I don't think. And I mean, in this game, you get smashed up a fair bit. I mean, yeah. I broke my neck just after I won the Perth Cup, mm. so in a bad fall I had. And I think you know it's the luckiest day of my life because. How many people get up and walk away from a broken neck, you know? Yeah. And to this day, I still got the broken bone in my neck, but it never deterred me. I rode for another six years, but I gave that away, you know, saying if I have a bad fall, they'll, you know, I'm done. So, mm. and Malcolm's still riding work at 64. I mean, we, we work as a team, you know? Yeah. It's incredible, um, you know, that you, you were able to share this journey together, is it? You, you probably couldn't do it without the other, could you? No, but it, it does pay a price. Like, mm. I didn't want to train professionally. Um, I knew it would be hard on our marriage, and I think on anybody's marriage that works 24-7 together. It's, it's um, And we had, you know, the greatest love, I think, in the world, and I knew that it would pay a price working together full-time, and it, it's had its moments, but mm. we're still together and we still love each other very much, <laughs> and so I guess it's, you know, we love it. We both, and he loves it, you know, like it's it's just as much his life as mine. Yeah. If you hadn't have uh, come to wage in that night 40 years ago and, and met Malcolm, do you wonder what life would have been like otherwise? Uh, I what, guess, where do you think you'd be right now? Um, well, I would have went to Canada. I was actually catching up with a girl who was a professional jockey over there. and I mean, she was one of the first ever. She was the first woman to ever ride a winner against the men in New Zealand, actually. Right. Out of um, a Lady Jockeys World Series, she was over there representing Canada. Yeah. And I met her then. And, I mean, who knows... I think I probably, with that great love of um, horses and, and all animals, I think I would have yeah. ended up taking some form Somewhere, of... Somewhere, yeah. somehow. Yeah. 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 Uh, what about you, Linda? You mentioned your dad before. Um, you know, he's been a hugely successful trainer in his own right. Um, and it seems to be a familiar story, doesn't it? The families that are born into it and stay in it and future generations follow. It's still very much a family affair for you. It certainly is, yes. Um, I've worked with my partner, Chris House, and mm. I mean, he's been a huge, um, you know, asset and, and, and also... I take it you, you, you both need each other to be successful, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's got the passion as well and um, he's a hard worker. He, he gets up earlier than me <laughs> but, um, and has more hands-on with the dogs these days, but uh, he, he just loves it. Yeah. And, um, so, but even in, with my brothers, my my nephew uh, Tim, he had a runner in the Australian Cup the other day, which is no mean feat, and um, he's only been training for a few years. So, um, he he's obviously going to carry on the family name as well. Mm. So, um, uh, just everybody seems to get involved. If they, even if they're not trainers, they're owners and they're involved, and maybe rearing some dogs or doing something around mm. the dogs. What about your dad? Is he still involved? Yeah, he still comes out every Wednesday morning with one of our owners, um, Gary Weston, who's had dogs with us for probably around 25, 30 years now. Um, and they come out and walk, walk a few dogs and take the brood bitches for a walk and uh, just in general have a chat in the morning. And uh, mm. so, 
And if ever I need him for anything or any advice, he's always there. He's he's moved over from Victoria. Yes, yeah, he has. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he misses his dogs dearly. You know, yeah. so um, I'm glad we've got a few that he he can come out and see, and he helps him with puppies and yeah. yeah so it's it's good that he's uh, still can be involved, but he'd love to be involved more. Obviously, yeah. now his age has caught up with him. The, the sorts of stories that we've heard from from Angela today, you know, there's very special attachments you form with the animals. Have you got a couple of standout attachments uh, yourself with with dogs over the years? Yeah, look, I, I probably Reggie Might was uh, Reggie Might. Reggie Might. Um, he was actually named after Chris's dad, um, and uh, he he won the first shootout in Victoria which mm. was where you put $5,000 up and it was $50,000 to the winner. Now, we're going back to about 1999 now, um, but that was just a real thrill. Um, mm. And, we, you know, he, he also went to start inside some really good dogs. Um, he lived his life out at our place. Um, so, but he was a real character. He was a dog that was quite aloof. He, uh, anyone... Quite in the day, I think at one stage, Rick, uh, Ricky Ponting was doing a photo shoot with him, and the dog wouldn't even look at him. The only mm. the only person he would look at look at was us, you know. Mm. His um, so um, but he went over. <laughs> he and went he, over, and to, he and he's the original punter, isn't he? Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's <Ponting>. right. <laughs> <laughs> but he would, um, you know, like he was just a very aloof dog. He had his own nature and he just loved running you yeah. know they, he there was a story with him early days the vet was a bit of a lead foot that would go around the area and and check everybody's dogs and when he was being reared he would uh put his foot down when when he'd go past this particular yard which was on the road near the yeah. road and he said to us you've got a very very fast pup out the front there because yeah. <laughs> no other dog's ever been able to keep up with our car this car yeah so right. um yeah <laughs> So, um, so no, he was he was great. Yeah. So, but there's many of them. You just look back and um, you know that we've had so much fun with, and and, and there's a lot of them are still in the kennels. Yeah, very good, uh, great memories. We need to take another break though. After that though, I want to hear about uh, what it's been like uh, being uh, particularly uh, in a fairly male-dominated industry. What it's like being one of these uh, trailblazing women. And I know you've uh, you've both been identified and recognised uh, for your achievements as well. So we'll touch on that right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories, back with more soon. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guests in this episode, Linda Britton and Angela Smith, uh, as we look ahead to International Women's Day tomorrow. Uh, both trailblazers uh, in their own right. Uh, Angela, uh, an apprentice jockey in New Zealand uh, as a, a younger lass and uh, one of the originals, really, uh, and also the fourth female trainer to win the Perth Cup. Uh, Linda, many accolades. You were rated Australia's leading trainer uh, by National Greyhound Form in 2007. You've been inducted into the WA Racing Industry uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, the list goes on. More recently, though, you won the Leadership Awards uh, in the inaugural Ladies of Chasing Awards uh, in 2020. Um, to both of you, as you reflect over uh, the, the years of your careers, how hard has it been uh, being being a woman in a fairly male-dominated industry? Um. 
I never found it that hard, but because I just enjoyed what I was doing. Mm. So you put your head down and do your work. Um, I guess early days when I came to Perth and started training, uh, I felt that, um, it, you know, everybody wanted to be your friend, but when you started winning a few races, uh, you found out who your friends were. That might not and, have been a gender thing, though. No, <laughs> Just no. a but general think, envy thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, yeah, look, it's always a little bit harder, you know, but um, in general I uh, just put the head down and did what I love doing. Yeah, and that's carried you through all those years. It certainly has. What about what about you, Angela? You, you you reflect a little bit on being a young female jockey and how how tough that was. Has it changed a lot over the years? Do you think you you do see a lot of a lot of young girls coming through as apprentices now, don't you? Oh, way more now. Yes. A lot more. Yes, yeah, yeah. There was only, as I say, two or three of us um, at that stage in the seventies yeah. in New Zealand. But um, I came over here in nineteen eighty. And there wasn't that much. We were way more forward um, as far as bringing females into racing in New Zealand than what they were in Australia. But Linda Jones paved the way there, um, mm. did a great job for females in riding. And today, you know, the girls that are riding, you know, they're every bit as good if, you know, I did not say better than the boys, but no, they're every it. bit as good. Um, <laughs> and they stand their ground and, and they do get the opportunities. There's still a little bit of that goes on um, as far as being females riding in a race, but... You know, if you understand the industry um, and the people that are involved in it now, I think they get a pretty good chance. And yeah. they're, they're on, you know, equal terms, I believe. Yeah. You mentioned um, right at the start of this interview, Angela, about uh, how much you love your animals and both of you love the animals, which is a, um, a point that obviously you're keen to press upon people because sometimes questions are asked about um, how much you genuinely care for the animals welfare clearly you both do oh immensely I mean I really love my horses I I truly do and you know I talk to them all the time I probably talk more to them than I do to people in a lot of ways but you know they give you unconditional love and you know probably training where we're from you know I've always had an average class or type of horse that's come to me Mm. but that's fine I've found my niche in racing and I'm happy with that Um, and I give them that opportunity uh, to experience something different instead of your normal racing, um, that how they're trained, and um, it's been successful for my husband and I. And you know, it, it is a team effort. Um, mm. Without him, I, I feel that you know I couldn't have achieved what I have. Yep. And both of us really love it, and, and the horses are happy, and I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And when people come to you saying that it is a brutal sport, and it's all about winning at all costs, money at all costs. How do you respond to that? Look, I love to win, don't get me wrong. And, um, you know, again, I'm like Linda. Every race, I don't care whether it's at Pingrup or Perth. You know, I just love to win. And I love seeing my horses going out there wanting to run. You know, that's the key Mm. is, is like, I want my horses happy and wanting to do it. Um, So that's probably the most important thing to me. I think the people that unfortunately do go on about those kind of things just aren't educated well enough to know what they're talking about, you Mm. know. are people that sit on the fence yep. and really don't understand the game. They'll have to come out and stay in your little B and B set up on your yeah. and see for themselves, <laughs> yeah. Angela. Yeah, well, that's that's something I've offered to the um, public. It's something that I've always wanted to do, and they can come and stay at area B and B and watch the horses train <laughs> in the morning and and uh, feed up themselves. at night and have a glass of wine. It's it's great. Sounds yeah. idyllic. Sounds uh, good. I might have to go down. <laughs> come down for a weekend. <laughs> Linda, 
greyhounds particularly have come under the microscope recently. I know the industry has been um, very proactive here in, in WA at least in pushing the, the idea of a greyhound as a pet. Why would I want a greyhound as a pet? I know they're fast um, runners, but why would I want one as a pet? Because they make the best pets. They, why um, is that? As I said, uh, they're the 45 hour, uh, 45 mile per hour couch potatoes. So they're, they're, they're little trouble to keep and they're, they're such a lovely dog. They, they're easy to handle. They, they require not too much exercise. They like a walk, a little walk in the morning, maybe a little walk at night. Which seems counterintuitive, doesn't it, to someone who doesn't have a great deal of experience with them. No. And um, so I think the reason they're such good pets too is because they're so well looked after from birth. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. They they are born with their litter mates. They run around paddocks with their litter mates, swim in dams and, and have a lot of handling all the way through. Um, we hear lots of things that we don't do that and mm. they're not well looked after, but there's nothing further, further than the truth that mm. they are so well looked after. And this is the reason they've become such good pets because there's been a lot, you know, a lot of handling and they've been... To racetracks, they've been in, you know, they they see lots of things around them, and uh, they've had lots of exercise, and they're just happy to mm. be around you and happy to do what you want to do with them. So you finish up with them after their racing careers essentially have finished, and then some of your animals that come under your care go back to their owners, or presumably go out as as pets. At, at what stage of their lifespan do you effectively say goodbye? Uh, it just depends on the dog. Some dogs are just not fast enough for racing, so mm. they, they go to the GAP program in Perth, and um, which is run very, very well. Mm. And um, they've got a waiting list there for dogs. Mm. So You uh, do see a lot of greyhounds, more and more, out in the community. Obviously, people are taking yeah. them on as pets. Yeah, is, it, is it hard for you to say goodbye sometimes? Oh, very hard. There's yeah. always a tear in the eye with nearly all the dogs, you know, so um, it is very hard. But... Um, you know, we know that they're going out to good homes and people get back in touch with you to tell you what they've done with them and where they've taken them. I've had people caravanning around Australia taking their with dog a with, hand. Them, with their greyhound. With a greyhound. There you go. Um, Linda, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you as a final question. So many wins now that you've, you've racked up over the years. Is there still some holy grail left for you to achieve uh, during your time left in the sport? Oh, there always is. <laughs> a Melbourne Cup or a, an Australian Cup or something like that would be nice. I've, I've run seconds in them, but I haven't won them, so that would be nice. Yeah, right. Okay. And and getting to 5,000, is that a mental milestone for you? Oh, I just might try. I'm not <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but um, yeah, I might give it a try. Yeah. What about you, Angela? Oh, I'm just happy to keep going along as we're going and as long as the winners keep coming and um, we've got a drink on the table at the end of the day and a meal it in our belly. It seems to be a theme for you. Yeah. Oh, no, you've, you've got to enjoy life. I mean, when I get owners, most of the horses we own ourselves. I have a few outside owners, and um, but we've cut that back and most of them now we own ourselves. And I just think that life's very short and that you need to either, you know, go out there and when you own any, either a dog or a horse, if you go into it with the might right, um, might right mindset, sorry, um, you can have a really good time, you know, like, and don't put so much pressure on yourself. And I think if you get the money back that you put into it, you've done really well. If you make something, it's a bonus. But at the end of the day, you have a drink to either celebrate or commiserate. <laughs> doesn't matter. But just be happy, you know. Yeah. 
I think that's a fitting note to end it on. Thank you, Angela. Thank you both. Uh, thank you for coming in and sharing your inspiring stories. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to another edition of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.